0: Amen. Well, good morning uh, to all of you uh, from me. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's uh, Chris Brockway. I'm the other minister uh, here in the life of the church here at CBC. And it's a privilege this morning to continue in this teaching series that we've been journeying with for the last couple of weeks. We've got a few more weeks to go as we explore spiritual gifts. Last weekend, we explored the theme of prophecy. But two weeks ago, we set the foundations for this series, and we said, look, it's really important that we're informed about spiritual gifts, but it's even more important that as we exercise them, we do so with love. That's the foundation of this series, and it will continue to be the foundation on which this series is built. Well, this morning is the exciting morning because we get to arguably the most controversial of the spiritual gifts. Doesn't that sound really exciting? Yeah. Good. Well, last weekend we found uh, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 14 instructing the church in Corinth about two things. He was talking to them about prophecy, which we unpacked in a bit more detail, and he was talking to them about this gift of tongues. We decided last weekend that speaking in tongues is about speaking to God, whereas prophecy is about speaking to people. Tongues speak out the mysteries of God. I like that. The mysteries of God But prophecy speaks in a way that it can be understood by mere mortals like you and I. Tongues build up the individual, but prophecy builds up the church. Tongues speak mysteries to God. Do you know, I think it's really good to leave room for the mystery of God in our walking, in our journey with Him. And I say that both over our corporate gathered life as we are this morning, but also in our individual walks with Him as well. It's good to leave room for mystery, Why do I say that? Well, God seems to be a mysterious God. God is always greater no matter how great we think he already is. He's always greater than what we might think. There's always more of God to discover, always more of God's love to experience together. God's love is always greater than we've experienced it to be. And the journey of faith for those of us who are followers of Christ is an adventure, isn't it? In a sense, it's an adventure as we seek to resolve the mysteries of life, and they're great by the mystery of God himself. George Washington, a great man, once understood this. He said this, he said, When I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe. And God answered him, and God said to him, that knowledge is for me alone. So Washington responded and said to him, Well, in that case, tell me the mystery of the peanut. And then God said back to him, well, George, that's more nearly your size. (laughs) When we discover the greatness of God, we find our place in this world, don't we? And yet God says to us, there's more of me for you to discover. Come on the adventure with me. The most controversial gift always has been and perhaps always will be tongues. It's a mysterious mystery in so many ways. Although it has to be said, I think this gift gets wrongly some bad press, although sometimes it rightly gets some bad press, because this is the gift that's been abused and misused, especially in the last hundred years or so of the charismatic renewal. This issue of tongues has become the biggest deal in many churches, and to be really blunt, it should not have become the biggest deal in our churches. The gift of tongues is not the be-all and the end-all of the Christian faith, Jesus is. It's really important that we nail that this morning. We're not saved because we speak in tongues. We're saved because of all that Jesus achieved for us on the cross. You're not a better Christian if you speak in tongues or you have the gift of interpreting tongues. All Christians, as we've underlined over the last couple of weeks, have spiritual gifts and God's desires for us to use those gifts to bless the body. All of the gifts matter. I'll never forget my first day at Bible college. Any of you that have ever been off to Bible college will know what I'm talking about here. It's a terrifying experience. Bible colleges are very weird cultures. They're not like the, the normal world. You walk in and it's a shock. And I'll always remember my first day. One of the other first-year students went into the student lounge where all the different year groups were, were gathering over a break time, and there was a lulling conversation and not completely disjointed with what had already been said, he suddenly said, if you don't speak in tongues, then it's impossible for you to be a Christian. Wow, first year student in the lounge with all the third year students. If you don't speak in tongues, then it's impossible for you to be a Christian. Wow, the response was very entertaining. (laughs) I love watching the shedding of theological blood. It's a great sport. And within just a few moments, all of these third-year students had theologically assassinated this individual with his ridiculous statement. It was great fun to watch, and actually, I don't entirely blame the individual for saying what he said. All he was saying was what his church had been teaching him up to that point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 18, Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Well, there you go. He's just trumped us all, hasn't he? I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but, he says, in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, maths is not my strong point, but that's a ratio of 5 to 10,000 in favor of comprehensible words. Now, here's the good news this morning. We are not, in the next few minutes, going to deal with the controversy that there is around speaking of tongue, in tongues. Centuries of denominational battles haven't resolved this, con- this controversy, so it's very unlikely my pathetic 20-minute sermon is going to help much in this debate, okay? I hope that sounds okay to you. The gift of tongues was controversial on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. It was no less controversial a few years later in Caesarea. It was no less controversial in the church in Corinth, as we'll hear in a moment. And this gift is still controversial today. But here's the intriguing thing. Millions of Christians have and still do speak in tongues to this day. You can go to a Roman Catholic church and find people speaking in tongues. You can go to liberal mainstream churches and you'll find people speaking in tongues. You can go to conservative evangelical churches and you'll find people speaking in tongues. Of course, you can go to the the many Pentecostal churches that are growing like wildfire throughout the world and you'll find people speaking in tongues. And as we discovered last weekend, you can find people speaking in tongues right here at CBC. And it's an essential contribution that these folk are making to the church body. Now, my hope this morning is that I'm going to give you a balanced perspective on this spiritual spiritual gift. I'm really hoping this morning that for those of us who are afraid of it, there'll be a word for you. But equally, I'm hoping today that those of us who might think too highly of this gift might also have a word in season around keeping a balanced view. And a balanced view, it seems to me, is what the Apostle Paul is calling for in our Scripture verses, which I'll read in a moment. He's calling once again for love and for order in the church. Now, if you've caught our teaching during the past couple of weeks, you'll know that in 1 Corinthians, Paul is saying to the church, would you be and would you become bodybuilders? Now, unfortunately, they've become the type of bodybuilders that I occasionally see when I occasionally <laughs> go into the gym. Do you know the type of bodybuilders, bodybuilders I'm talking about? These individuals who are there, and the only agenda they have is about strengthening themselves. They'll do 20 repetitions of weights in the gym, and then they'll look in the mirror to see how much bigger they, weren't the, uh, they, are, they are than a few seconds just before. These people are posers. They're obsessed with self. They're in the gym all the time. They're bodybuilders. But Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, no, for the church in Corinth, would you be the type of people who build up the body, which is the body of the church? Would you be the type of bodybuilder who is making other people strong in Jesus as is not just obsessing about yourself? Would you be the type who's more concerned about others than you are yourself? Linda, get rid of it. It's very unhelpful. (laughs) Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, look, these gifts that we're talking about, especially tongues, it's about blessing others. It's not about self-glorification at all. So be a builder, but don't bodybuilder, but don't be a poser. We're going to open up our scripture reading this morning. We're going to read 19 verses of 1 Corinthians, some of which we've heard in previous weeks, but it's really good to hear it together. So if you've got a Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says this, "'Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries.'" There's that word, "'by the Spirit.'" "'But the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and their comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church.'" I'd like every single one of you to speak in tongues, but even more, to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. Now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you and I speak only in tongues, what good will I be to you unless I bring some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or word of instruction? Even in the case of lifeless things that make sounds, such as the pipe or the harp, How will anyone know what tune is being played unless there's a distinction in the notes? Again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? So it is with you. Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages in the world, and yet none of them is without meaning. If then I do not grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker is a foreigner to me. So it is with you. Since you're eager for the gifts of the spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. For, I'm praying in a, when I, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I'll pray with my spirit, but I'll also pray with understanding. I'll sing with my spirit, but I'll also sing with my understanding. Otherwise, when you're praising God in the spirit, how can someone who is now put in the position of an inquirer say amen to your thanksgiving, since they do not know what you are saying? You are giving thanks well enough, but no one else is edified. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, one of the concerns that people have about this gift of tongues is that there's going to be total anarchy if this gift is used, especially in the church, in public. And that was precisely the problem that was happening in Corinth. But as Paul goes on to say in the rest of chapter 14, he's saying, look, this should not be so. Listen to those words we heard again last weekend, verse 26. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation, everything, everything, which includes tongues, the interpretation of them, must be done so that the church may be built up or encouraged. And then in verses 27 and 28, Paul goes on to describe in some detail a really helpful God-honoring, and crucially, people-honoring way in which tongues should be dealt with if they're ever used out loud in public. He says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak at one time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to themselves and to God. So it's really clear, according to Paul, that this gift of tongues, if it's to be used biblically, then there ought be no need for, for chaos or anarchy in the gatherings of the church. Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, there's a time for tongues to be shared, but also there's a time for interpretation to be sought. Both are equally important. Now, if you are with us last Sunday, I hope we modeled that for you, and it's been good, hasn't it, to hear that interpretation for us to weigh this week. I wonder if that tongue as it was interpreted was an encouragement for you, whether it's built you up this week. Now, of course, some of you at the moment will be thinking, but Chris, I don't have the foggiest idea what, what you're talking about when you're talking about speaking in tongues. And if that describes you this morning, then don't worry. It's not the kind of thing they talk about on the 10 o'clock news, is it? But it's also not the kind of thing that gets spoken about much in our churches And just to further confuse matters, Bible scholars all over the world from different streams and strands and persuasions have been debating this matter for decades, and they still haven't come to any firm conclusions about the use of this gift. And those varying opinions will be represented amongst us this morning, that's for sure. And wasn't it good to hear Kay say to us this morning, do you know it's okay to disagree about some things in the life of the church? And this is one of those things that we can debate and we can discuss and come to different opinions on. Rather amusingly, if you Google this subject, then you'll find two websites that get listed next to one another. One of the websites says, 10 reasons why you should speak in tongues. Immediately under that in the listing, the next website says, 10 reasons why you should not speak in tongues. I mean, you can't write this stuff, can you? Why didn't one of those groups make up another reason why you should or should not speak in tongues? And then their argument would have more weight, perhaps. So what is speaking in tongues? Well, in simplest terms, speaking in tongues is when someone speaks in a language that he or she has never known and has never learned. For example, if I were to stand here right now and speak to you in Chinese this morning, that would be an example of me speaking in tongues. I've never learned Chinese. I know next to zero Chinese. And if I suddenly started speaking to you this morning in Chinese, that would only be possible because God had given me the ability to do that by His Spirit. Konnichiwa. (laughs) Of course, it's not quite that simple, is it? If it were that simple, then perhaps there would be less controversy. In Acts chapter 2, in the midst of those astonishing events that happen at Pentecost, if you remember them, that appears to be what was happening. As people gathered from all over the Roman Empire, not only did they experience the strangest winds that they had ever experienced, but then there were those flames, but they also heard the apostles loudly praising God in a foreign language, a language that they previously didn't know and a language that they had never learned. Picture that scene for just a moment. You've got Andrew over here declaring the glory of God in Egyptian, even though he'd never studied it for a moment. And over here, you've got Peter overflowing with praise in Italian or in some other language. This is awesome stuff, and it's mysterious. And it happened for a reason, and it happened for a purpose. Now, what I'd be thinking right now if I were you is this, is so what? It's mysterious, yes, but there's nothing particularly controversial about those events that happened on the day of Pentecost. But if only this matter of tongues was as straightforward as it might seem based on the Pentecost accounts. You see, if you've ever heard someone speak in a tongue in a public gathering as we did last weekend at this service, you'll know that there's a problem compared to what happened on the day of Pentecost. The problem is that very, very few people who speak in tongues today are speaking in another known human language. Now, linguists have listened to thousands of people speaking in tongues, and only very, very rarely and occasionally have they found even a fragment of a known human language. So does that mean that the people who speak in tongues today aren't really exercising this gift that Paul is speaking about? Does that, for this matter, that matter mean that the church in Corinth weren't really speaking in tongues at all today? When people speak in tongues, are they just speaking out gibberish? Are they just speaking out senseless noises? Well, the answer is not necessarily. You see, it's very clear from our scripture reading this morning that the church in Corinth, they had this experience which was something that was different from what happened on the day of Pentecost. How do we know that? Well, we know that because Paul said that interpreters were needed in Corinth, whereas on the day of Pentecost, people just understood what was being said without the need for interpretation. In Corinth, it seems likely from what Paul says that tongues were being spoken uh, were a language, but it was a language that was unknown to any human being. In the chapter before the one we're in today, in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul uses this intriguing phrase where he speaks about the tongues of men and of angels, which would suggest that this gift of tongues can and does involve speaking in some angelic or some non-human or some uh, spiritual language, we could say. So if when you hear someone speak in a tongue and it sounds like gibberish, at one level, it is gibberish. At least it is to our human ears. But then any language sounds like gibberish, doesn't it? If we've never heard it or we've never learned it, unless someone interprets it for us. What's really interesting is you scan through the pages of chapters 12 to 14 in 1 Corinthians. For three whole chapters, Paul is constantly playing down tongues and encouraging up love and prophecy instead. So does that therefore mean that we should discourage the use of tongues in the church and therefore leave this gift and the gift that goes with it in the closet? Well, in verse 39 of chapter 14, Paul says, Brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. In just three chapters of Scripture, Paul makes 21 references to this gift. And it's evident that he's keen to stress to the church in Corinth that the genuinely authentic gift of tongues and their interpretation was to be alive and were to be active in the church. It was to be exercised. Of course, the question is how, and then for that matter, why. We'll come to the why in a moment, but first, the how. Well, Paul's so keen to stress, isn't he, to the church in Corinth that this gift is not some kind of show of spirituality. This is not for posers. This is not for people who love looking at themselves in the mirror uh, when they go to the gym. Yes, he did say that he spoke a lot in tongues himself in verse 18. He does say that he knew what it was to pray with words that he didn't understand in verse 14, but nowhere will you find Paul arguing that speaking in tongues was any measure of greatness on the spiritual barometer. Just like prophecy, the gift of speaking in tongues and the gift of interpreting them is to be done with humility. Wasn't it encouraging this morning to hear testimonies from two of the most humble people I know, from Linda and from Kevin? So much humility. Humility. And Paul says to the church in Corinth, look, stop being proud, stop being arrogant about these things. Stop being self-centered and self-glorifying over this stuff. He says to them, would you please grow up and would you start being more sensible in the way you're exercising your gifts? But at no point did he tell them to stop speaking in tongues. Paul said to the church in Corinth, if you have this gift, then you must exercise it, but you should do so following the instructions from verse 26 onwards. He says there only one person should speak at a time, verse 27. He says that people should only speak out in tongues if an interpreter is present, verse 28. And he says if no one is present to interpret them, which becomes obvious after two or three tongues have been shared, then the individual should pray quietly to themselves and they should exercise that great fruit of the Holy Spirit, self-control. This gift is always under the control of the person seeking to exercise it. And Paul warns the church in Corinth, if you allow these tongues to get out of control in your worship services, then it's going to be a source of confusion, especially for those people who are unbelievers if they see things being done in an unordered way. Verse 23, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some do not understand or some unbelievers come in, will they not say that you're out of your mind? But equally, Paul would say, done in an ordinary way way then actually this gift of tongues can be a great witness to unbelievers. He says that the gift of interpreting tongues, the ability to translate a foreign language that we've never learned or perhaps don't know into the language of the hearers should always stand alongside this gift of speaking in tongues. It's a separate, but it's a complementary gift that's to be used in conjunction with speaking in tongues whenever a tongue is spoken out publicly. So that's the how, but what's the purpose of God giving this incredible gift to the church. Well, I had a friend once who was trying to give up smoking. He'd been a smoker for decades and he tried all of the things to stop smoking that people try. He tried going cold turkey, he tried all the patches, he tried all the substitutes, and in the end, he resorted to prayer. He prayed out to God God, every single time I put a cigarette in my mouth, would you make me speak in a tongue? It's a great strategy because every single time he put a cigarette in his mouth, his lips would go ten to the dozen and he simply couldn't hold the cigarette in his mouth. It worked. It was effective, but actually that's not the primary or even the secondary reason for this gift. Paul says one of the reasons for being able to speak in tongues and having this gift is about personal prayer. This isn't about public at all. This is about private Paul obviously spent a lot of time speaking in tongues, and you imagine that most of it actually was done in private, outside of the the public church setting. Scripture indicates to us that this gift of tongues can be a form of praise. It can be a form of thanksgiving to God. It can be a really powerful tool for intercessory prayer. Have you ever found yourself not knowing what to pray for somebody else? Well, if you've got the gift of tongues, you can pray without worrying too much about what it is that you're praying. Scripture says, look, this is a gift that can bring worship to God. It can bring breakthrough for others. But praying in tongues ultimately builds up the one who is doing it, especially in their private prayer lives. And I want to encourage you this morning, if you have this gift, to spend time praying privately in tongues often. Practice this gift faithfully in private, and then consider its authentic use faithfully in public. But secondly, as we've already heard this morning, this gift is for bodybuilding. It's for bodybuilding, like all of the gifts are. When this gift is used right, it can bring encouragement into the lives of others. It can even bring change and transformation as God speaks through another person. As I finish, I just want to take a quick look at the events of Pentecost again. Because there are three really intriguing responses on the day of Pentecost, at all that people were seeing, as they heard people speaking out in these foreign languages, and the first response is that people were amazed. They looked, and they said, wow, this is incredible. Look what's going on. You can imagine them being drawn towards Jesus as a consequence. There was another group of people, and the scriptures say they were perplexed. Maybe it led them to ask some questions, to think, Do you know, what? I don't get what's going on, but I'd really love to find out something more. And then there's another group of people who simply accuse the individual speaking in tongues of being off their face on alcohol, of being drunk. And I wonder what your response is to this theme this morning. It's okay to have a diversity of opinions amongst us. It's okay. I wonder if you've ever asked God to give you this gift and whether you've ever tried to exercise it. the challenge so clear from our scripture today is to be a bodybuilder. Not the vain, poser, look-in-the-mirror type, but the type that's committed to using gifts, all of the gifts, including tongues and interpretation, to build up the body, which is the church here at CBC and maybe even beyond. Can we be still together? Let's pray. Let's pray.